0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: Welcome back to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. Today we're going to talk about pivoting. It's a term that you've probably heard, and Wharton management professor Jax Kirtley has studied to see what it really means to some firms. Jax, thanks for being here. Very cool to be here. Now, as I said, the term pivot is pretty widely used, but can you talk a little bit about what its origins are? So the word gets used all
0: different places. The use of the word in entrepreneurship is sort of as a, a specifically entrepreneurial term comes from Eric Reese and Steve Blank's books on what's now referred to as the lean startup movement. Mm-hmm. Eric Reese and Steve Blank are two entrepreneurs themselves that wrote about their experiences as entrepreneurs and what they learned. And they talk a lot about how you can use basically the scientific method. How do you make hypotheses about what's going on as, in your entrepreneurial firm? Because there's so much uncertainty for entrepreneurs. Think about explicit hypotheses about what you're doing and then test them. And when you test those hypotheses, they either get validated or they don't. And if you look at what the lean startup movement is saying, when your hypotheses are not valid, are are not shown to be accurate, you should change. You should pivot your strategy and create new hypotheses and test those. And That's where the word pivot came into entrepreneurship is this very specific methodology, but it's been picked up by everybody and their brother, and it's not used that precisely anymore. Now it is used by anybody who wants to talk about how we've changed. We pivoted. We pivoted our strategy. I actually had a student entrepreneur once tell me that they pivot every day, and that doesn't make any sense. You don't really change your strategy every day. And in fact, most of the time when we talk about the big name pivots, the big pivot stories um, in the paper, I refer specifically to the example of Slack and Flickr. So Stuart Butterfield started out making video games, online big online video games, and they didn't work. And he changed from being a massively multiplayer online video game to being... Flickr, which is just an image website, that we think of as a pivot because it's a massive change. And the word pivot is very evocative. You think of basketball players who have planted one foot and changed direction but kept that one foot down. And we usually think about that as the, the technology or the firm. There's something you keep, and, but you change your direction very completely. So we all talk about pivots as if they are Big changes, but we also hear entrepreneurs talk about pivots as little changes. And we've started to see the word come up to refer to anything. Politicians pivot, and uh, there's been there was a period a couple of years ago where there were all these self help articles about how to pivot your life, and it's just become this ubiquitous, not specific term. But to entrepreneurs, it still has this very specific, or at least semi-specific usage. And we still talk about entrepreneurs in this way. We teach it too. We teach the, this scientific method of hypothesis-driven entrepreneurship. So for me, I wanted to get down to, well, what is it really then? And a lot of entrepreneurs will tell you, we're willing to pivot. We're open to it. But what does that really look like? And what does that really mean? That was kind of something I wanted to understand.
1: And so, for this paper, you actually talk to some actual firms about that. So, talk a little bit about that. So, this
0: paper is coming out of my dissertation study, and my dissertation was a multi-year. It's actually started. The dissertation is three years, but I've it. The data collection has continued on since then. It's now at I think about seven. I. Followed these firms in the field. So I went out to the firms multiple times a year, talked to multiple people within the firm, and just did interviews over years and years of what are they doing? What are the big decisions they're working on? How is the firm evolving? And to me, that that's sort of where I started my dissertation. I wanted to understand how do hard science and technology based firms and all the firms in this study are doing some kind of novel knowledge, in many cases right out of a lab, trying to take it to market in energy and clean tech. So these are very hard science, very technologically advanced concepts that they're trying to bring out products and, and, and um, technologies. So how, do your, how does your strategy evolve? How does your technology evolve when you start a firm like that? And so I showed up on their doorstep every six months, every four months, depending on when they'd let me in, and observed what they were doing, talked to different people within the firm about the big decisions going on, about what you're working on, to understand how things were changing. And what this gave me was the opportunity to see kind of before, during, and after of big decisions. And that's what is sort of the basis of this data. If I can... see what are the things that lead up to a decision, a big decision about your strategy, about changing your strategy or pivoting. I can see that what comes before, I can get a sense of what actually triggered a decision. And then what are the things you're thinking about during that decision? And some of the pieces within one decision may be related to other decisions or they may be related to things you were thinking about a year ago that become relevant To that decision-making. And then once you've made the decision, what happens next? And this paper doesn't get too much at what happens next. It's mostly focused on the decision-making and the choice to change or not change.
1: And so as you delve deeper into those decision-making, and it sounds like, I mean, in, in some cases this was happening over the course of years. These decisions were making and these changes were taking place. What did you learn about the nature of pivots and also the nature of things that were not pivots?
0: So one of the things that I was surprised about when I got through the data. So looking across, I have seven firms in the data, and they're all firms that were very, very early stage when I met them. None of them had a product in the market at the when they first started talking to me. Several of them still don't. And what I was fascinated by is they all say they're open to change. They're young firms. They know there are things they don't know about what's happening, about what's going to be the case, what's going to work. So they're all open to change.
1: I think a of- Entrepreneur anyone doing a startup has to say that almost yeah. and maybe it has to be that to some
0: They extent. all – they'll all say it. Um, but the basis of change, it's, you know, anyone who's an entrepreneur is, is taking act, is acting under uncertainty. So that's some, actually something you would say. Any entrepreneur is acting under uncertainty. And in that, they're doing something other people don't think is worth it, is right, is going to work. And they're open to the fact that they might be wrong about some parts, but they're usually pretty clear on the general gist of this is totally there. And Mm -hmm. this is going to work. And this is is sort of the strength they have behind their own convictions. In this paper, I look at 93 different decisions where at least one of the options involved changing the strategy.
1: And so when you say changing the strategy, like changing that core –
0: So changing something fundamental about what the firm is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So a a change in the strategy might be, um, are we a service company? Are we a product company? It might be, are we funding ourselves through grants or are we funding ourselves through VCs? Um, Are we going to get contracted out engineers or are we only going to do work internally? There's a whole bunch of different kinds of things that are part of your strategy. And for these 93 decisions where at least one of the options they considered was a change, most of the time they didn't change. Most of the time, and that's 72 decisions, um they didn't change. And as an outsider, very often I was surprised by this. I thought change was the right thing to do. So one example would be a firm that decided, because of all the industry experience they had, building a physical prototype of their product, because their full-size product is about the size of this room and costs a couple million dollars to build. Wow! So you don't just build one of those just to show off. You can't (laughs) afford it. But they also thought it wasn't worth designing a small prototype because they knew anything you could do in a small prototype already existed in the world, and their new technology was only relevant at full scale. So they thought it would be a waste of time and money to build what they called a toy. And potential investors kept saying to them, but you don't have anything that works. You don't have something I can see working. So they started they asked themselves the question should we build a toy just for investor marketing and that would have been a a change in their strategy they had they had come up with how much money do we need to do all this what time what are we spending our time on what activities are we doing are you have to actually design a small version not just say okay I've got the big one and I'm gonna build a small one. You have to actually make design choices and find the right parts to be able to build something that is fits on a table when the real thing is the size of a room. And so they entered that decision process. And to me, as an outsider, I was figuring they were going to build this because they were having a lot of trouble finding money, mm-hmm. finding investors, finding even grants. And they decided not to. And it took them a couple more years to get the money they needed to really get their their firm started after that decision. Were they right? Were they wrong? I have no idea. But they decided to stay on their path of not building a prototype. And in what I saw in this, in this study, more often than not, the the f- entrepreneurs didn't change their beliefs about what was the right thing to do, what was the right path to take. And when you didn't change any of the beliefs you held about the uncertainties you faced and the challenges you're, you're dealing with, you're not going to change your strategy. And that was actually one of the first things that, that I would say this, this study found is you're, as an entrepreneur, you have beliefs about the things you don't know for sure, the uncertainties. And if your beliefs don't change, you don't change your strategy. You stay on course. But every once in a while, in this case, only in about 21 instances – they did change. They did have their beliefs about what to do, about what was going on, about what was uncertain. Their beliefs did get affected.
1: And I was gonna, that was going to be my next question is, is, so in that minority of cases, what was going on there? Because it sounds like there was a pretty huge bar to clear to get them to make that change. So
0: unfortunately at this stage, I don't know exactly which situations cause your beliefs to change and which ones don't. When are your beliefs affected and when are they not? That's future research to do. Mm-hmm. But what I can see in this data is in some cases the entre- what the entrepreneurs believed about what they didn't know or what they were unsure about, what this uncertainties they face. If they were contradicted, and that could be my belief was wrong. I was wrong about this market or I was wrong about the idea that, that partners would be willing to pay us to work with us, so they've, there's some belief that's contradicted by the new information, and it might be that the belief is wrong, and it might be just that the belief doesn't align with the strategy we have. That I really do believe that this product is best sold as a component to someone else's system, but the someone else is out there don't want to buy it, mm-hmm. so. I'm still, I still believe that this, is, this product is best entered the market as a component, but since that's not going to happen, that's not going to work. None of these, None of those system makers want to buy it. I'm going to have to do something else. There's this contradiction. In those cases, the entrepreneurs exited something. They said, okay, this is not the right product, and they stopped the product. When the entrepreneurs entered these decisions, they were triggered by – the problems and the opportunities, new information that's either favorable or unfavorable. The problems, when it changed, affected their beliefs, led to these exits. These, there's a contradiction in what I believe and I need to exit something. Opportunities, what I saw was the beliefs expanded. So I believe that my microchip technology is going to change the world. Well, then I learned a new piece of information about how to build my product without a microchip using off-the-shelf electronic components. And what I, what I as a researcher found is over a time as this team was deciding, well, do I need to make a microchip product? Could I make something that isn't a microchip? Their language changed about those beliefs. Instead of talking about how our microchip technology is going to change the world— As this decision process went on, I heard them say, our core technology is going to change the world. Their beliefs expanded. What they believed about their uncertainty, what they believed about what they were doing grew. And in those cases, they added to their strategy. And in this example, they added a second product. And this is a two or three-year-old firm that hasn't finished the first product, doesn't have the, not all the money they need to get to market on the first product, but they've added a second product and they think this, this is worth doing. They must really doing. believe in that. <laughs> and they believe in it. They believe that having two products is going to be valuable. One will get to market sooner and one will give us this and one will give us that. So they added to their strategy. And this is – This is getting at what kind of choices are they making. They're making an addition choice or they're making a subtraction and exit choice. But if you talk about a pivot, if you think about Stuart Butterfield going from a video game to Flickr, that's bigger than one exit or one addition. You have to decide to stop making the video game. Before you decide to – you look at what you have and what your products are and what you could sell and identify, well, we have this image sharing system that we've been using internally and we could turn that into a product. So this is something that that I think kind of gets at the core of where – of the findings about pivots. When you make a choice to change your strategy, you make a somewhat – I'm not going to say it's not an incremental choice, but it's a specific choice to add to exit. You make this specific choice. A pivot is I've changed and redirected my strategy. I was a game company, and now I am a photo-sharing website. That kind of change is actually an accumulation of ads and exits. And over time, you accumulate those. And that time may be a day. That time may be six months. One of the firms in my study actually went six months with no product defined. They exited their product and it took them six months and a couple of different potential addition decisions, potential products they could add before they decided this is the product we're going to sell and now this is what we're going to do. It took six months of a firm living on grants, no product defined. And being willing to sort of live in that uncertainty. And so when we think about the pivot, we think about these big stories and these, we tell them sort of from two miles high. We were a game company. We are now Flickr. What happens on the ground, the decisions, and that's really what the unit of analysis is in this this study, the decisions are more steps and they compile they aggregate into this complete redirection of what we're doing as a strategy and what we're doing now.
1: For the seven firms that did make those 20-something decisions to make a big change, it wasn't that they all in one day decided we're just going to make this big pivot. It was really a lot of different things going on over time that added up to a pivot.
0: And that's sort of one of the ways that I look at what this paper is really pulling out of what really happens in a pivot. It's not a basketball player who plants one foot and turns around completely and changes direction. It is a set of decisions that when you look over time— I was a product company that was focused on a number of different industries that could all use this energy device. And now, two years later, I will tell you that I am a service company with a set of products targeting one industry in energy. That's a pivot. That's a, ch- that's a significant redirection of the firm. But in the case of that firm, there are 18 decisions, and some of them were to change. Some of them were not to change. Some of them you exited, you exited a product, and in that example, went six months without knowing what your product is. Some of them, we added a product or we added a customer, we added a joint venture, a partnership, things that really did change what our activities were, where we used our resources, what our day-to-day strategy was, what what our firm did. But really redirecting from I'm a product firm for lots of markets to I'm a service firm with products to one sector of energy, that takes a lot of decisions. One of the things I also found really fascinating throughout the data was when I talked casually with these entrepreneurs and their teams, they would say, yeah, we're, we're open to pivots. But when we talked about the decisions they were making, when we talked about what they're doing today and what they're thinking about, they never used the word. There were probably in all the data I have, um, a couple hundred hours of, of interviews, they'll Word pivot was maybe used twice, and it was retrospective
1: to refer to kind of the era before and the era now. So they didn't really necessarily even recognize the pivot while it was going on.
0: For, for a company that is, had made this kind of change, we were a product firm, now we're a service firm, they might say, well, before we pivoted, we were looking at retail we, were, we we had a marketing person start looking into retail, and now that person's role has changed. Now, it wasn't a day when that role changed. It was over time, but that would be the only time in the data I ever heard these people use the word pivot, this retrospective to something happened, and they're referring to some something that happened over the last year or two, but when you talk to them about entrepreneurship in general, they'll say, oh, we're open to pivots. We realize that this might not be exact, that things will change. But when they're making these decisions, that's not the word they're using. That's not what they're thinking about. They're thinking about what do I believe is the right thing now? What is going to work? And how is this firm going to succeed?
1: And now you you did make the point that these are mostly these were like hard science and clean tech firms. Yes. And so do you feel like I mean, is it different for them? Because, I mean, like you pointed out, they have products that might be the size of this room. Like is do you feel like there's a different it's a different ballgame for them versus maybe a tech firm that's creating an app. And, you know, it's, like, it's something that's something maybe that's more easily changeable than a product the size of this room or a component that has to fit into a really complicated system. Or do you think it applies either way?
0: I think it applies either way although the the challenge of it the the beliefs you're you're holding on to how hard it is to change those are going to be different and maybe this is one of those instances where for a firm that is building a new kind of alternative energy generation choosing to exit a product might be a slower decision because because of what we're doing, whereas choosing to deciding one day this online video game isn't working, that might be a decision I can make faster. Maybe I can assess quicker whether the code that I've written for the video game can turn into something else or there is a, a different way to use it. That might be a quicker decision. But I think we see if we look at some of these assumed to be easier and faster startups like Flickr, even something like Google, where Google started out, their original business model was, we're going to license search powered by Google. We're going to sell you a hardware device that you put internally to your servers at your office, and we're going to have advertising. But the advertising was actually something they weren't that excited about. Um, When they added AdWords in 2000, that was an addition to the company when they acquired AdWords, that was an addition to the company that, st- that was part of a set of decisions that turned them into what they are now, which is the mega-advertising system they are. They only stopped selling those hardware devices that you put internally to the servers in your office two years ago. That product line only the uh, only got canceled in 2017 or announced to be canceled in 2017. So... They've made choices that are steps of ads and exits, and we talk about the big pivot there as well, but it's the same series of steps even if it isn't if it's a software firm or we think of them as a software firm so I think what my data allowed me to do is look at these extreme cases where maybe it was easier for me to see the choices being made the ki- some of the kinds of changes they were dealing with or considering but i think i think it is valid the findings are are generalizable to entrepreneurship in general
1: and so what do you think is the value here for entrepreneurs or even for budding entrepreneurs to understand this process a little better and you know i think it is always in easier to understand a process looking at other people than when we're like in the thick of it ourselves? Because like you said, it's much easier to look back more introspectively and see. I think it's
0: the idea that you can pivot and survive. And this is one of the things about pivot I think a lot of entrepreneurs like. If I know that if this isn't working, I can pivot and I can still succeed. That's something that is a good thing for entrepreneurs to know. Because most entrepreneurial firms fail, so knowing that there's an an alternate an alt a way to survive, a way to change and move forward, that's a good thing to know assuming assuming that you're going to just make that one choice one day and you're going to be you're going to go from being a game to being uh, a an image platform, that might be a lot to expect of yourself um. You're, we, we talk a lot about entrepreneurial heroes when we talk about Facebook and Google and and Flickr. We talk about these successful sort of hero entrepreneurs. We need to be careful when you're talking to an entrepreneur who's trying to do their thing today that they don't assume that that person had it easy and made all these decisions in one minute was so certain. So I think for an entrepreneur who's facing these challenges, should I pivot? Did I pivot wrong? Were these decisions right? Did I just change the wrong way? Knowing that that all of these stories are more steps and that the big pivot isn't a decision you're making today, that I think can be helpful to the entrepreneurs as they're doing these things.
1: For future lines for this research, where are some other places you'd like to go with it? Well, I as I mentioned, I
0: don't know I can't say right now why did some decisions in result in beliefs being affected or changed. What's the difference between the one, the ones where the beliefs were were remained where they stayed and and nothing was nothing changed or nothing was affected? I would love to be able to find out more about the difference between those and I think that could be incredibly helpful. If, especially if eventually there's some way to connect that to how good or bad those decisions become. That's a little idealistic. I'm not sure I, how I'm whether I will get there. Um, another thing that I found really interesting in the data, opportunities led to decisions to change more often than problems. We think of if my current Strategy fails, I'll pivot. It's a very sort of firefighting perspective. Yeah, it's a very negative.
1: A, oh, no, this failed. So the got sky to pivot. is falling.
0: I'm going to change. But one of the things that this data pointed to is some of these changes are coming from, oh, there's something cool more I can do. Um, one of the additions in the data was a firm customer sites in the customer's truck. And the customer starts talking about how our entire industry came to a standstill last last winter for two weeks because of weather. And the conversation continues and the entrepreneurs realize, wait a minute, there's a feature to what we're already building that could solve the problem this gentleman just mentioned. Okay, this is cool. This is an opportunity that we have to solve something that's real, that's fundamental, that we didn't know about before. And it's not the idea that anywhere near the idea that these entrepreneurs had when they founded their company. But there's something led by these opportunities, led by something more positive and less firefighting. And I think the optimist in me is attracted to this idea that that these opportunities we stumble over after we've already started the firm are significant to where our what our firms evolve into. I think there's something really interesting about that, and I think there's, that we focus way too much on the failure and the problems of entrepreneurship, and these opportunities and new avenues play a very significant role in how firms evolve, and I, that's something I want to explore more and understand better, and how are those opportunities different from the founding opportunities that started the firm to begin with? what what is the difference between them how much is that going to affect what the firm turns into how do we how do entrepreneurs look at these opportunities differently the opportunity the founding opportunity i have to make a decision to start a company to go after that opportunity but once i have a company and i learn about new opportunities how do i look at them differently what is are those opportunities better because of how i got them those kinds of questions that's something that, I, that I've seen from this research that I think would be really useful and really interesting to explore more. Because very often when an entrepreneur sees problems, they firefight, they solve, and they move forward. But these, these new, I, new opportunities, these new potentials, these are things that we're not talking about as, as much and that really do change things. Google is an ad company now.
1: Well, they, it's not as dramatic to say, "Oh, I had an opportunity," and then I did this to say I had a failure, and then I fixed it. But we do we tell a lot
0: of hero stories when it comes to probably business in general, but definitely entrepreneurship. We love to tell the story of the phoenix rising from the ashes or the college dropout who became a billionaire. And there's a lot. There's a lot of energy that comes from those stories, there's a lot of excitement and motivation that can come from those stories. But there's a lot of important details we don't pay attention to when we just focus on the hero story. The opportunities that, that you stumble along on the way that are significant to what your firm becomes, those really change the story and change it for the better. And I think that's something that's worth understanding more.
1: Jax, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's podcasts, articles, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple's podcast app, Stitcher, and your other favorite podcasting platform. If you like what you hear, please go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a like, a comment, or a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the podcast. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.